This is Reasons to be Mindful, a podcast about everyday people who practice some form of meditation to make life easier and more enjoyable. I'm your host, Jen Hill, founder of Right Brain Liaisons, and I'm interested in how people keep their mind fit, healthy, and better able to deal with the unavoidable challenges of being human. Meditation is about that cultivation of awareness of your thoughts, and thoughts can be, in a sense, a beneficial part of the meditation process. So bring them on. Today on the podcast, I'm chatting with Tim James, ex-CEO and now meditation teacher, about the role meditation has played in his life and work. Tim, it's wonderful to have you here. Thanks very much for your time and welcome to Reasons to be Mindful. Thank you, Jen. Thanks for having me. Can you tell us what led you to make the career choices you have ultimately from CEO to meditation teacher? Having studied engineering and with an engineering background, I moved into that field and found myself after a number of years as CEO of an organization based out of Melbourne and loved the role, loved working with people and delivering amazing solutions for the challenges that they had. And then after a couple of years actually in that role, someone who reported to me who was, uh, who was also a friend took their own life and it was incredibly impactful, of course, for their family and I found it incredibly difficult at the time to understand and to deal with and to know how to move forward. And I stayed with that organisation and I did everything I could for the people that were there to support them and be there for them, yet I actually didn't really give myself any support or care and pushed down really and didn't acknowledge what was going on for me. So found myself after a couple of years completely burnt out, ill, needing a change, you know, just knew I had to go, I had to leave the organisation. And I had two young kids and we were living in Victoria, a state I loved, and yet I just had to go. So I actually came back to Adelaide and studied coaching, life coaching. And so then set up my own company and provided consulting, coaching, mentoring services to, to businesses. And so yet I'd still never really worked through these emotions, beliefs, challenges that I'd had several years earlier. I found that I'd actually dropped into a really deep low period. I'll call it a low period, but it was really a beautiful period at the end of the day. I didn't know a way out and I came across a book at the time, which was Eckhart Tolle's The Power of Now. And the book fell out of my hand and opened to a page and the heading was You Are Not Your Mind. And when I read that, it just sent a lightning bolt through me. And the book spoke to me very, very deeply and introduced me to meditation. 
so from there, I attended over the course of the next sort of six, seven, eight years, three Eckhart Tolle retreats. I started my own meditation group, introducing people to different teachers, Eckhart Tolle, Byron Katie, Deepak Chopra. I was totally immersed in that space for a lovely long period of time while I was running my own business, but sort of felt like I wanted a lot more interaction and I'd been volunteering with different charities for near on 10 years. And I really wanted to make a bigger difference with a charity. And I knew I had these business skills that perhaps I could help. So, so I ended up being an employee with a charity. And after five years with them, felt myself completely <laughs> stressed out. <laughs> I, I just completely bought into my role, the structures and framework and belief beliefs associated with that role so and I I'd lost touch with meditation it was almost like I turned around and thought hang on I've been here before what am I doing and so over a Christmas period I contemplated and really asked myself some deep questions about what I wanted to do with my life what I truly wanted to do and what truly resonated for me and it was meditation. The answer was so clear. And not only to be in meditation, but to teach meditation. And so I started studying meditation with Australian Centre for Holistic Studies and was very fortunate that once I finished my study, they asked me to be their next coach. And uh, I've been coaching with them ever since, coaching other people who are interested in becoming meditation teachers it sounds like, Tim, you've got a big heart for supporting other people. Would it be true to say that nurturing yourself is something that was maybe missing? Yeah, nurturing myself was definitely missing. You know, when I was CEO, yes, I'd heard of meditation, but I'd heard of it as really this woo-woo type practice that um, was just not something for me. You know, I was this corporate gun this person who could do anything and nothing could hurt me and you know was in charge control of myself and self-care nurturing myself wasn't really high on my agenda I loved spending time with my family but I was very driven to let's say be successful and just wanted to be the best engineer I could be actually and, you know, the best leader, the best manager for what I thought that meant. And one of my philosophies was actually if I take care of the people, they'll take care of the business. And yet, yeah, taking care of myself wasn't high on the agenda. So meditation, you know, meditation was a revelation at the time. And even though I was practicing meditation over a period of, you know, quite a number of years, I got bitten by that achievement bug again and going back into the workplace and found myself kind of all consumed. So lost touch with it a little. And uh, I think now it's why I feel that in the corporate sector, it's wonderful to, to provide meditation services and bringing in that depth of cultural change. You know, meditation can easily be seen as a one-off. 
but not as a part of the culture. Can you describe for listeners the difference that having that element of self-care in your life has made or makes? For me, the difference that having that self-care makes is greater self-awareness and acceptance or deeper self-acceptance. And so in terms of self-care, there's a realization that it's okay to, to not feel okay. And so those times where you may not feel okay, you can kind of still sit in a space of peace with that. So that in itself is really supportive for your self-care. And, you know, you can hold that with compassion, you know, still feel the the anguish, the anxiety, the whatever it might be, but know that that's okay. It's, you know, in addition, it means I connect more with nature. I am different with those around me. Now I feel like I, I react less. So whereas I am a little, I'm more mindful as to how I respond. Do you think that that sort of striving for success and self-care are mutually exclusive? No, I don't think they're mutually exclusive. You know, for me and from my experience, I wasn't aware, but um, they could have worked together. And I think then the striving would have been seen from a different perspective, you know, whereas one way of, for me, it was kind of all-consuming, whereas you could still strive for success for whatever that meant for you and be very present with that so that the striving wasn't all-consuming and didn't take over rather than like I did, which was just react to every situation and everything that arose and every thought and every emotion. Yeah, so no, I don't think they're mutually exclusive. You're listening to Reasons to be Mindful, a podcast for people interested in bringing more mindfulness, i.e. presence, into daily life. Tell us a little bit about your go-to techniques or any particular practices that you use regularly. Yeah, my go-to techniques, generally a combination of mindfulness and self-inquiry. Generally, I'll meditate every day, twice a day formally, and once in the morning and once in the evening. And sometimes I'll guide myself, and sometimes I'll actually listen to others and let others guide me. So mindfulness being sitting with what is and just holding whatever arises in the space of aware presence and then seeing where that leads sometimes that will lead to a question arising in mind and a question that i wish to dive deeper into or it might lead into a an approach of seeing how everything is already happening um, and already accepted and already allowed rather than trying to allow it and accept it. And so, and for me, that's more of a self-inquiry type 
seeing because it supports a, a lovely dive into what's already here. And then sometimes, you know, I'll ask myself a question, who am I? So it'll be a more direct kind of what people would understand self-inquiry to be. What about informal practice where you integrate the, the principles into your daily life as you're going about your day? For me, one of the key ways of integrating into my daily life is actually just walking in nature and being in nature and opening out the senses and connecting with you know what's happening around you and the sounds and the smells and the sights. Uh, I love, you know, love taking walks in nature, love being in nature. Um, so that's something I'd call an informal practice. I think eating every now and again, mindful eating, probably not as often as I could, <laughs> but um, very much love mindfully eating. And, you know, then there's the times where as I look down at my desk, I'll be sitting at my desk and just bring attention to the soles of my feet or to my breath and the feeling of breath through my body or just the feeling of my whole body and noticing how it feels. Yeah, sometimes random. And then it might be in conversation with someone and actually noticing that, you know, am I paying attention mindfully here or am I stuck in my own thoughts? Beautiful. With all that wonderful self-inquiry and mindfulness, what have you learned about yourself? Wow. Wow. I guess the learning about the self, myself, is that I'm, I would sum it up by saying I'm a spiritual being having a human experience rather than a human being having a spiritual experience. That's become quite clear to me that I was looking at things the opposite way around and now I see things the other way around. So, yeah, we are much more than we think we are. That shift is profound, isn't it? If you stop to think about that, that it turns everything on its head. Yeah, yeah, it turns everything on its head. In a good way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's so profound because even as a teacher of meditation for a, for a little while, you know, or, or for, for looking out there as teaching meditation, there's so much that's promoted as even the term going within. You know, generally speaking, we will sit as a human being thinking we're going within to that deeper essence you know, connecting with our spiritual self or higher wisdom of the human being, you know, but the human being is kind of the the center of the picture. And um, and yet seeing it from the other way around, yeah, as you say, it's a it's a huge shift. It's it's a, it's a huge shift. In your teaching, what have you seen to be some of the biggest misconceptions about meditation? Oh, um, that there's a right and a wrong way to do it. 
you know, meditation is not for everyone. So one of the misconceptions might be that meditation is a, is for everyone or is a, you know, this solution that will work no matter what in any situation. And that's not really the case. There's some other funny ones that I think are very quickly being eroded. Things like you have to sit in a certain way, but you can meditate anywhere. You can meditate walking, riding, running, lying down, seated, sitting on the floor on a chair. It doesn't matter. But, um, yeah, I certainly feel like there's no right or wrong in meditation. There just is what is. And sitting and holding what is, is meditation. You know, it's not about trying to stop your thoughts. It's not about trying to control your mind or control your thoughts. In fact, you might have a meditation where it might go for 10 minutes and your mind wanders 50 times. And, and if you, you know, if there's 49 times where you notice that your mind has wandered, that noticing itself is this beautiful spark of awareness. So you're actually cultivating that aware presence within yourself by noticing that your mind has wandered and gently bringing it back to awareness of sensations of breath or awareness of the body or whatever the anchor might happen to be. So thoughts can be great in meditation. So, yeah, that's probably one of the biggest ones, Jen, is that it's about stopping my my thoughts or stopping my mind from going crazy. What would you say to someone who says they can't meditate because they can't stop thoughts? <laughs> Welcome. I yeah. can't stop my thoughts either. <laughs> That's it for today. A huge thanks to Tim James for sharing his personal story and some of the insights he's gained throughout his meditation journey. Next week on our last episode for season one of Reasons to be Mindful, I'll be chatting with Wiradjuri woman Jaja Dare about deep listening. You can find links in the podcast summary to a guided meditation by Tim James along with other links mentioned in today's episode. This podcast is not a substitute for professional medical advice. Always see your doctor with any questions regarding your health. You can read about me and join my mailing list at rightbrainliaisons.com. Leave us a rating or a review. Follow us on social media. Subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss season two. Thanks for listening. Have a great week and bye for now.